You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest is the daughter of an underworld figure in Western Australia, a convicted drug trafficker who won against the ATO where the Federal High Court granted him a 220000 tax deduction for a botched drug deal. Welcome to the show, Lisa. How are you? Oh, thank you, Anthony. I'm very well. How are you? I'm very, very well. Now, listen, as I've just mentioned in my intro, how did that happen? I think that is so fascinating because it is based all around an old law, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, I I really don't know, but my dad had balls as big as anything <laughs> and, and he, he always tested boundaries and... Um, you couldn't say to him, no, you can't do this because he would go ahead and try anyway. He didn't He didn't um, let anything stop him. And, yeah, he always pushed the envelope. That was just his character. What was his background? Was he born and bred in Australia, a background of Australian? Uh, no, my father was born in Reggio Calabria, Italy. So ah, he's Calabrian. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he was born um, in 1948 and came to Australia when he was three years old with his parents and he later had two sisters who were born in Australia but um, he didn't have an accent he was very ochre Australian and um, yeah I had a, a very ethnic background growing up and they my grandparents were very humble law-abiding citizens and beautiful people and they produced my father and uh, I don't really know how that all came about as to his character. Yeah so tell Lisa tell us when did you become aware of what your dad whose name was Frank La Rosa what he did for a living? Um it I don't know that it was something I understood the magnitude of until I was much older, Mm. Um, but I did have um, some inclination growing up um, when I was around 10 or 11 years old. We lived in a place uh, called Greenwood in Western Australia and my father had a three-storey house because my father was actually a builder by trade wow. and he'd built this magnificent three-storey home and uh, it was on a slope so from the front it looked like two stories but from the back it was three so part of it was actually built into the ground oh. and so it was on different levels and he had a retainer wall and down on the bottom level, my father was growing these plants down in the backyard, which he tended to quite dutifully. And uh, being young, I adored my father at this stage. He was my world. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd go down and help him water these plants. And uh, he'd asked me to pick the shade leaves off, the big shade leaves. And, um, and I'd asked him, you know, what they were and he'd just, brushed it off as herbs but uh, I was sitting in the lounge room one night when the news was on and there'd been some sort of drug um, uh, interview or or story and they busted somebody with all these cannabis plants and rushed into the kitchen and I said to him it's cannabis (laughs) you know so that's that's when I knew that you know it was it 
it was drugs, but I still really, at such a young age, didn't know the magnitude of, of yeah. what it was or, yeah. you know, yeah. I can imagine. So it wasn't until I was much older that I had some sort of idea. Mm. Now, I know your father went missing in 2008 and was found seven months later, murdered with his fourth wife. Tell us about that time. That was horrendous. Um, I... I had gotten a phone call from his sister, my auntie, um, had I heard from my father, because I live here in Tasmania and he's over in Perth, and I and I said to her, no, I hadn't heard from him and, you know, didn't think much more of it. But it was a very brief phone call and uh, when I hung up, I said to my husband, that was really odd, um, I don't know what that was about. And next day I got... Uh, another phone call from her telling me that she had reported my father missing. So I said, oh, that that's strange. And, yeah, so I rang the police and they tried to tell me that he had probably absconded because he was up on more drug charges and that, um, you know, that's that's what they thought, and I and I had said to them that I didn't believe that that my father was um, the kind of person that, that uh, didn't turn tail and run. Yeah. He stood his ground. So um, for him to just uh, run away from these charges, he he was he was a bulldog. He wouldn't he wouldn't run from this fight. He'd been in this position many times, and. Uh, I, I didn't believe that he had absconded. I believed that he would have, his, his motto was always do the crime, do the time. So he would have been willing to face these charges, although he had told me that um, the drugs weren't his. So uh, anyway, um, so I got a little bit worried then that, yeah, something had happened. And I said to the police officer at the time, I said, you guys have got your work cut out for you because if my father's missing something's happened to him and uh you guys whoever did this want doesn't want him found and you won't be able to find him so yeah um I, I had grave concerns how old were you at the time Um, this was 12 or 13 years ago and I'm 52 now, turning 40 because I, I had earlier in the year and I was, I wanted him to come to my 40th birthday and my daughter's uh, 20, uh, 18th or 21st or something. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, lost at dates now, the time yeah. sort of passed, so it's, it's hard to remember dates. But, but it's still not really yeah. that long ago. Like, that's really not that long ago at all. God. No, no. What was, and so I know that the trial went on for 12 weeks. Were you, you were there for most of it too, weren't you? Yes, I, I flew back um, and I wanted to know what happened. So he he was discovered seven months later during that time um i didn't sleep very much i didn't eat very much um, my life had gone into suspension because um when when someone goes missing out of your life and you don't know what's happened to them you get this survivor's guilt where you don't want to move on with your life because 
you don't know what's happening with the person that's missing and then you feel guilty about just going on with your everyday life you know yeah. so I was in that I was in that sort of situation where um the world stood still for me for for a very very long time and it affected every aspect of my life my relationships my work my health um and we finally, the Christmas of 2008, do a bit of camping out of the area and um, we got away and the, during this time the police had been looking for my father and uh, they had areas that they were looking at and they were taking earth moving equipment to have a dig. My father had owned previously a property out at Chittering and um, so they were looking there. Um, one of his so-called friends apparently owned it. Now with going, just going back a little bit, with my, my father's financial situation, because um, he was a convicted drug dealer, um, a lot of his assets and things, anything that he had um, they brought in laws where they would confiscate proceeds of crime. Right. So any of my father's assets, he actually put into other people's names so that he appeared to not actually have any assets. So he, he actually had assets, but they were in other people's names. And he didn't trust me because... Um, he didn't put anything in my name because uh, I had, the last time that he'd gone to prison, I had flushed $80,000 worth of drugs down the toilet that he'd had mailed to my address. Oh. And the very next day they came looking for it and, and looking for these drugs. And I'd never been in that sort of situation. I wasn't a drug user. I wasn't a drug taker. I wasn't my father, I wasn't mixed up in that world. And I, I joined the Air Force in between time and had come back with my children and my husband and reconnected with my father. So there were long periods of time where we were estranged, which is probably a good word. Mm. Um, so I was living next door to my grandmother and uh, yeah, he'd had these drugs Without my knowledge, I didn't know they were coming. And when they came, um, he was, I was told not to open them, just to leave them. And then when I realised what it was, I'd actually flushed them down the toilet. So wow. he then came and I actually saw, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but I actually saw... The, my dad had very brown, I would say almost chimpanzee brown eyes mm -hmm. and went from this beautiful brown to black. Wow. So I'd actually seen the devil in his eyes when he realised what I had done. And uh, he'd threatened my life um, and I told him there and then that I wasn't going down with him um, there'd been a car chase all over Perth because they had intercepted drugs before. And, uh, and I had said to him, if you go down, I'm not going down with you. I had warned him yeah. that I would never go down with him. So um, 
he then never trusted me after that. And, yeah. uh, you know, so he never, I, I had betrayed him in a way. That's how he looked at it. So all of his assets were put into other people's names. And when his trial came up, there were all these people, his so-called friends, that the police had portrayed to me were his lifelong friends. And I said, well, if they're lifelong friends, how come I don't know them? Yeah. You know, and two, two people were convicted. It was a 37-year um, sentence, longest yeah, Not, it was that. two consecutive life sentences for and a father, a father and, son. and son. Yeah, father and son. Um, it was depicted that he had loaned the son money for a wedding, and that the interest was three thousand dollars on top of the payment. I don't know if it was a month, a week. I don't know what the situation was. But it all boiled down to the fact that he couldn't pay it. So mm. they portrayed it or the evidence showed that he was murdered over that. But reading between the lines, I don't believe that. My father was actually, once he started putting his assets in other people's names, was worth more dead than alive. Right. So that's that's my thought that, you know, he was it was actually a hit. Yeah. Yes, okay, the two people that did it um, did do it, but not. I don't believe necessarily for the reason that it was proved to be, yeah. And you also read a statement at the trial saying that you had forgiven the men for their actions. How hard was that? Um, not, not so hard because for me going through the 10 weeks or 11 weeks it turned out to be of, of sitting through that trial, I got to see and hear all the evidence. Mm. I got to see all the circumstances around it. I believe that my father's death was brought about by his own hand yeah. in the sense that it was the world that he dealt with, it was the world that he was in, it was never going to end well, um, well. It never does, and um, he ultimately play, paid the price. Mm. Um, he, as I said to you before, he was a big one for saying, do the crime, do the time, and his his time was had come, and, yeah. and I believe that's why. He, he was no saint, um, and depending on who you knew, my father was quite charismatic. It just mm. depended on the Frank LaRosa that you got. So I, I've just recently written a book about my life and his. Love a podcast? Love some Ants Talk. So what are your thoughts on your father maybe contributing to other people's deaths because of drugs? That's always been quite a conflicting emotion for me. Um, see, criminals don't see the impacts that they have on other people. They're very narcissistic. They only is making money. They don't care about what their actions are doing to the broader community or even their families. And when my father went to when my father's trial, throughout that time, I had a lot of conflicting issues because 
I'm thinking how selfish they were, that they have families. The youngest fella, he was just married with a new baby. And the, the father of that father, they also had another daughter who was a teenager. So they both went to jail. He's never gonna see his daughter graduate, never gonna see her get married, never, you know, going to be in her life. And the younger fellas just started a life and he's never going to be present in that life. And I think, you know, they just don't consider um, their impacts uh, on what their actions and how how it ripples out mm. to not only um, the people they're targeting with their drugs or with their um, criminal activity, but their families who are behind, who don't ask for this, who don't ask to be included in it and don't, you know, some of us are born into it that we don't have any choice that we're, we're there. And uh, the impacts that that has is, is quite severe. And uh, my father, my father fell and rebuilt his empire many times and, and all his, all his, um, all his focus was on building wealth and making money. He didn't care the impact that it had on people. He didn't yeah. care. Um, and, and that's not me. It, 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 those things do weigh heavily on my heart mm. and, you know, uh, through that, a lot of trauma for a lot of families, but not only those families, his family too. Yeah. So how did how do you sort of deal with, you know, the 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 difference between Frank, you know, the the drug dealer, and then Frank the father? That because I mean, yeah, even though even though he's done all these horrible things and had, you know, a horrible ending and there's other people to blame for his death and all of those things, you still would have loved him. He was your father. That's, that's the polarizing thing. Um, and something I still even um, struggle to understand myself. Mm. Um, I, I grew up in an abusive home. My father could be quite abusive. Uh, my parents separated. I was 10. So my mother was my father's first wife. My mother was 17 when she had me and my father was 20. So they were married very young. My father was a bit He went to war and came back and uh, they lasted 10 years and then they had three children out of that marriage. My father had no other children, but he had three other wives. Um, he, he, depending on the day, depending on what was going on with him is who you got, depending on who you were is who you saw. As I said before, he, he was quite charismatic. Um, a lot of people at his funeral spoke very highly of him, but it just depended in what circles they were yeah. from. So he was a very Jekyll and Hyde type of personality. And uh, I was on the receiving end of quite a few brutal beatings over my lifetime and I still loved him, but I didn't know any different a lot of the time uh, growing up. And I, I guess blood is thicker than water. Um, and I, would, I, I tend to now reminisce and only think about the good times. 
but there were many bad times. Yeah. But I also am very grateful because I did grow up in the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, my father, whether they be good or bad lessons, taught me a lot. Um, and so I didn't grow up in a world looking through rose-coloured glasses, mm. just in my father's actions, um, horrific things. Mm. And uh, he prepared me for life, I guess. I mean, this world isn't necessarily very kind. And I'm very grateful because I wouldn't be the person I am today without the lessons and the trouble and the trauma that I've been through that makes me the person I am today. Probably the best thing he gave you too was to, to learn how not to live your life. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But I didn't have the option to walk yeah, away. Exactly, exactly. Now, I know you've also written a book about your father titled Collateral Damage. Tell us about that. Yes, so COVID has been uh, a very interesting time. And um, in my relatively short life, I've, I've had, I've experienced a lot. So I found that there was always a story there that needed to be written. I just didn't know when I was going to do it. So when COVID came around and we were in lockdown for such a long time, I thought now was a good time to actually put my life story and how my father's life impacted my life. So yeah. It's a memoir. It's not. It's not uh, my father's story. It's my story. My father does feature in it, and there's a couple of uh, very interesting stories in it. But it uh, it's a very intimate, very raw, very uh, personal account of the impacts of his actions, his lifestyle, on me. Mm -hmm. So, just for the listeners, there. So, it's called collateral damage. And, of course, by the author, Lisa Mahoney, M-A-H-O-N-E-Y. Now, Lisa, where can people find out more about you? So I am on the socials. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can find my collateral damage page on Facebook. So it is just collateral damage. And um, there's a bit.ly link that can send you to a landing page if you'd like to purchase your copy. Or you can go to Glenroy House Books at hotmail.com. Yeah, because I was actually having a bit of a Google last night and even just putting in your name with collateral damage brought up heaps of places you can actually buy the book, which is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It is online. So Amazon, it's also an ebook. And uh, the reviews, I've, I've had very, very positive feedback. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. I think your story is so fascinating to so many people and I'm sure that it was very, very different living it. But the beauty of it is, is that, you, you know, you managed to come through it. You're living your life to your best. Thankfully, as I said before, the one thing your dad did teach you was you know, how not to live your life. And I think that's a very important lesson that you obviously learnt through it. I'll always, I'll always be grateful for, for yeah, that, to definitely. him for that. Yeah. Thank you again, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ant. Fantastic. Talk soon. Ant Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.